moly. Welcome, everybody, to an evening edition to RC After Hours. I'm Chris, your host. Sorry for the little delay. We were having all kinds of technical difficulties. Fingers crossed that everything's holding up and we can get through the show. But uh, we'll do our best. We'll see what happens. A little unusual having uh, a late-time show, huh, Andre? It's uh, a little different. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, I think I peaked too soon in the day. Yeah, I know. Mike Coolins is not joining us today because he will be turkey hunting tomorrow morning. So it's just me here in the studio. Um, but joining us today, we have a special guest, uh, Andy Graber. Is that correct? Uh, and you guys. Yeah, Graber. Graber. Andy Graber from GetFPV.com. He's joining us here on Skype. And uh, he's going to hang out with us in the podcast. So if you guys have any questions or anything you want from Get FPV, uh, shoot them across uh, Facebook Live. We should be live as we speak. Um, so get your questions ready for Andy. We're t- going to talk Get FPV and probably quads and motors and see what's uh, going on down there in Florida with all the nice weather down there. So once again, I'm your host. Chris Ronkiglione and our crazy Canadian up there, Andre Russo, who got out and did some flying today, which is awesome. Uh, okay, first of all, let's get rolling. Let me get switch some things around here so we can see some uh, comments, see what's going on. Uh, yeah, a lot of people like this better because uh, we we do we're early morning East Coast time, usually about nine, and. Uh, People are saying, hey, this is better than 5 a.m. Uh, <laughs> so, Andy, uh, first, I guess I want to see you are actually, get my right sheet here, you are the general manager at GetFPV and have been there roughly about five years. But I'm always yeah. curious, you know, when we have new guests on and everything, uh, if you could just talk us through a little bit of how you got involved with GetFPV, Get you know, what you were doing when you first started, how you got into the general manager's position and what you're doing, you know, as of today. Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, for me, I, I kind of got into RC as a kid. It was always a desire of mine. I loved it. I saved up three years for like an RC car when I was about 12, you know, all your birthday money. And, um, but I could never afford planes back then. It was too expensive. And I was going to crash them, but, uh, I was working in, as a web designer, uh, back in mid two thousands and a guy at my shop was into some balsa planes. And I was like, Oh yeah, plane stuff. I wonder what that's like now. And this was just kind of when electric planes and foamy started hitting, mm. uh, the market yeah. scale there at an affordable price. And I was like, Oh, I started looking into it. I bought a little hobby zone champ yes. plane, like little, just to see, I was like, oh, let me see if I even like it. Right. I flew it for, for like every day for a week. And then I realized, oh, yeah, I, I do like it. I'm going to get something bigger. So I, I kind of worked my way up, uh, foam planes. And that was kind of the, the goal. You get the next bigger one, the next bigger one, the next bigger one. Yep. I crash them and <laughs> repair them and glue them and keep going. But uh, then, then FPV kind of showed up. Uh, this is maybe about 2011. And... I saw, I was like, man, that's what I really wanted to do. Cause I was putting cameras on my planes already, just recording aerial footage as I was flying line of sight. Mm-hmm. And then when I realized you could, you could pilot from up there, that was, uh, all I wanted to do. Right. So my choice, my choice was, uh, do I want to do it with multi-rotors or planes? I'd always was familiar with planes. So I decided to start with planes 
And uh, back then, everything was long range FPV. Um, yes. So that was the goal. You know, who could go how X amount of miles and above the clouds? And that right. was kind of what you'd shoot for. So I built from scratch, you know, everything got a Skywalker, spent like 40 hours building it and did every little upgrade before I even maidened it. I, I, I maidened it and I did a line of sight maiden before I did FPV and I had an RC uh, lockout and I completely crashed it. Like after 40 hours of work, I crashed it in oh. 20 seconds. Now, now, was this back in the old art? Because I, again, I'm going back in the time machine a little bit in the early days of flight tests. Again, you know, Chad Capper and we had David Vinstol yeah. and they were they were really kind of in the, you know, the early uh, stages of FPV back then, and it was the old 900 megahertz with the big giant antennas on them, you know, and it was, you know, like you said, how far out can we go? How high can we go? And, it, you know, yep. they were always pushing the limits, and I was usually the one just uh, in the background with a pair of goggles on, just amazed, going, oh my gosh, you guys are crazy, you know, and Chad even has a one big story where he had the big giant swift and he got up in above the clouds and started cruising around. And when he come down below, he didn't realize that the wind was, was pushing him above the clouds. Right. So he thought he was just up there circling around. And when he came back down through the clouds, he was in a complete different area, had no idea where he was, just kept searching, searching, trying to figure out how to come back home and eventually just ran out of battery. And to this day, I don't think that we or they ever did find the Swift. It was and and there's actually a video on YouTube uh, that shows, you know, what happened, where he was. And it, it's pretty intriguing. Yeah, I know. I know that feeling. And I think everyone that's been in it long enough has one of those stories where, you know, you learn the hard way of, of, of those those battles where you you, know, you didn't know it ahead of time, but you find out pretty quickly. I lost a plane, that same plane. I ended up repairing it, flew it, I had a couple good flights on it. And then right before a big um, FPV event down here in Florida, CFL FPV, uh, back in 2012, this would have been. Um, I was getting everything ready. I was doing a long range flight and I ended up losing video like a mile out oh. and it was just, it was like a, it was like a black, it was like a blackout. I don't, I think something failed, but, uh -huh. um, I didn't have return to home on it or anything. And I, I searched for like five hours in cow pastures looking for the thing. And then I, I never found it. Who knows where it went? I think it just probably went another five miles out and kept sure. going. Yep. Till the battery it, died. Huh? Yep. Oh, that's yep. So I never found it. And that was a bummer. That was right before, like a week before the event. And so oh. I didn't have another plane to bring to it but i ended up going to the event and that's kind of where it brings me to where i met tim mm -hmm. uh, who was the founder of get fpv tim nelson mm -hmm. and um he had he had just moved down from new york city to funny enough it was sarasota the event was near orlando actually um and we just happened to both be going there i hadn't never met him before that uh come to find out he had just moved to sarasota i was like oh i didn't know anybody else in my town that was doing anything fpv so that was really cool. So we, we became friends and stayed in touch for some months there. I did some uh, photography for him. He was just working by himself out of his house at this point. He had mm -hmm. left Sony Music and uh, decided to do this FPV full time, um, just kind of as a relaxing you know day job and get to spend time with his family. He didn't know it was going to turn into a, a business <laughs> wow. really, you know? Yeah. So so we stayed friends and it got to the point where he needed help. And I was working uh, as a web designer for about five years at that point at a company where it was kind of a small company and I was getting a little bored with where it was and we weren't going to really go anywhere. So I decided he asked me if he wanted to work with him and I thought, well, at the very least I could do what I really enjoy right now for a while. And if it doesn't work out long term, you know, I, I get a new career uh, down the road sometime, but it ended up being very successful. We got more and more busy and, uh, um, you know, over the last five years we've, we've grown a lot and 
I've learned a lot. So in terms of my role of general manager, I kind of grew into that. I didn't have any background of uh, upper management type stuff. It's just, um, I was, I was the lead of my web design team, but, uh, it was a small company, just three or four of us, uh, doing that. And, uh, so as we just grew as a company, uh, you know, you end up kind of doing more and more and overseeing roles. And the nice thing is starting from kind of scratch there, I learned just about everything. So I, I did every role that's in the company right now at some point, right. You know, pick, right. pack, take orders, <laughs> phone calls, emails, uh, so, vendors purchasing. Yeah. I, I'm kind of curious. How did, how did the conversation come around? Obviously you guys started flying together and we're sharing the same passion, but you know, with Tim, like, you know, I have this little, you know, thing in my basement I'm selling stuff or whatever out of my garage. And he goes, I'm thinking about maybe renting a bill. How does that conversation come about where, Hey, do you want to leave your job and come work for me? You know? Yeah. Yeah. We had, um, on a number of occasions we'd hung out on a weekend. We did a few times where we met up and went and flew somewhere. So we kind of just feeling each other out. I think seeing if, you know, if it, we were going to go well together and, and we did, we had a good time together and I think we just, we just mixed well together. So, uh, I'm trying to remember how it exactly came up. We ended up going out for a lunch when he officially kind of asked me to, to, he offered me a job essentially. Um, and uh, I told him I'd think about it. And the next day I said, yes, and that was that was pretty much it. He wow. offered me, you know, the same amount of money I was making where I was. So yeah. it wasn't a big risk that way. I didn't know what it was going to turn into, but uh, it was enough for me to say, let's give it a try. So, yeah, at that point we were just out of his house. He has a spare. It was like a garage that got turned into an office. And it was just him and I in in the garage with about two shelves of inventory. And that was that was it. And I'm trying to think back, you know, there wasn't. Uh, maybe three or four uh, at the most other places that were really selling FPV equipment. Um, but yeah. do you remember back in the day, what were probably your biggest uh, uh, products you were selling back then in the early days? Yeah. So Tim really kind of pioneered the um, video drone back then. Cause back then people were putting cameras on uh, multi-rotors, mostly a lot of tricopters and quadcopters, yep. but the footage was pretty awful. I mean, beyond the point of just saying, Hey, I got some footage in the air and that's pretty cool, but it was like full of jello and it was shaky and it was yep. really low quality. So GoPros had just started coming out and he developed a system that's called the clean dirty system where you actually separate yeah. the motor and the powertrain from where the camera and the electronics sit uh, by some silicon bobbin. So that became very popular because it was very good and it was one of the first ones to do that. Um, so we we sold a lot of equipment for that at the time was QV500 mm-hmm. and when I joined it, we just finished the QV400 um, quadcopters, and uh, even still to this day, we sell those five years later. Um, they've just been good, good platforms for aerial video and uh, a lot of other stuff too. Mm-hmm. So we sold a lot of multi-rotor stuff, a little bit of wing stuff. Back then, the wings were multi-rotors really hadn't taken over the wing FPV scene yet, I would say. But uh, the multi-rotors grew really quickly. So I think within the first six months, eight months of me being with them is when we designed the QV250, which is like one of the first mini quads. Uh, and that's when we also came up with Lumineer, which is our in-house brand mm-hmm. that we started, started designing equipment under, under that, like airframes and motors and stuff. Uh, why do you think, uh, you know, big question is what do you think or why did the multi-rotors all of a sudden take off and get so big and so popular? Because in, in my honest opinion, you know, there is a lot of technical 
stuff to them. They're, you know, you got to know, kind of know what you're doing if you're building them and testing and tuning them. And they're not really cheap. Like you can go out and spend 200 bucks on a foam airplane, you know, and ha- pull it out of the box and fly it where unless you, you know, obviously you guys have some ready to fly quads, but you know, even a, a couple years ago, you had to buy the parts, put it together, test and tune it. And they're really not super cheap. So why do you think all of a sudden that these um, small multi-rotor quads have taken off. Yeah, I think I think once the technology started getting there to where what people were wanting to do seemed possible, that's kind of what was the jumping off point that we saw. So it was, you know, the smaller motors, the smaller ESCs. Mm-hmm. When we first made the 250, you were really taking airplane motors and ESCs and trying to put them on a mini quad. It flew awful because the software wasn't right. The flight controllers were, weren't quite there, mm-hmm. but, it, but it could fly. And that was like, wow, I can fly this little thing. I think the freedom of a multi-rotor too compared to a plane just to where you can fly in 3D space mm-hmm. um, makes a pretty big difference. For me... The plane, it was like, you know, you put it in your car, you go find a big open field, maybe 10 miles away from your house. And yeah. um, it just becomes more of a, a big event to do that. Where the multi-road, I could go in my backyard, test it, fly it around. Um, I think for a lot of people, probably just the ease of, of flying it in terms of location. You don't need a big landing spot. It's just uh, easier to get started with. Um, I think the building, too. I mean, with the planes, you, you can spend a lot of time building them, but the multi-rotors, a lot of our customers really enjoy the, the building side of it, you know, picking out every part, doing the soldering, the programming. Uh, it for sure takes a lot of knowledge uh, if you're starting from scratch to get there, but there's a real sense of accomplishment once you get something flying that you kind of piece together, you know, every piece there. That's true. That's a good point. Um, I'm always curious to know also, um, you know, when Sharpu uh, really started getting popular in his videos, you know, on YouTube, because I, I'm trying, time like goes by so quick for me. I can never really tell, but you know, two years ago or three years ago, I remember again at flight tests and Alex was pulling up some videos. He's like, you got to see this Sharpu guy, this stuff he's yeah. doing in these videos. It's insane. It's like, how can somebody fly like that? And we were all just like, Oh, come on. This, this can't be real. And then obviously we, we know how everything turned around, but so I'm curious to know how did it Sharpu have a big involvement on on multi rotors and what you were selling and, and the popularity of them? I think for sure, yeah. He he kind of came on the scene. We found him as just originally a customer, and he was buying the QV250 and started finding some videos. He was posting like, man, this guy's better than most people it seems, and he was doing some really creative stuff right. that uh, hadn't hadn't seen before. So we reached out to him and said, hey, I mean, this is early on there weren't really sponsored pilots much at that point in our space at least and we said hey we love what you're doing what can we do together you know let me know we'll give you some gear and just kind of keep pushing him forward because he was doing just incredible stuff at the time Mm -hmm. and i think for sure he his flying influenced a lot of people and inspired a lot of people to even start flying we hear it all the time that you know i got in because of this sharpu video i saw (laughs) that's when i that's 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 when I started and um, he ended up doing like a build video with the tested channel on YouTube. That's mm-hmm. got a couple million views now. And then right. three years later, we still would get people that email us and say, Hey, I'm looking for that build that he did. And you're like, well, it's pretty old now. People don't buy those parts, but yeah. it's, it's pretty incredible how many people found out about it through there. So he, he certainly became an icon in the FPB quad scene. I call him the quad father, but yeah, that's a, that's nice. a good one. I mean, cause yeah, it seems that's where it really all started you know, stemmed from or started from at that time. Um, now, as far as the technology, I mean, it's 
I can't even keep up with it, to be honest with you. It seems like at one point you see something you like and you go, okay, I'm going to buy it and build it and put it together, you know, or whatever. And you fly it for a couple months and then boom, it's almost outdated or they come up with something new. Is it really kind of hard to keep up with the technology or are you guys actually involved in it to where you're helping the technology improve and doing things, you know, better? Yeah, it's it's a mix. I mean, as a, as a purchaser and as a business, it's definitely a challenge because you you want to have the latest and the greatest. But yes, like you say, that's changing like almost weekly sometimes. Yeah. So for you to plan ahead, make a purchase, put some money down on a product by the time it gets to you, there's probably V two on in the works. It's about yeah. to be launched. Wow, so yeah. Yeah. so you got to work fast and you got to, you got to be nimble in terms of, of buying and selling. Mm-hmm. You can't get stuck on too much inventory. And of course, then the one that gets really hot, you end up being out of stock yeah. longer than you wish you had. So it's a challenging business to be in. Cause it's people try to compare it to some other products. And it's like, I can't even buy more than a month or two worth of gear or else I'm, I'm in danger of being too old, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's tough. And in, in terms of the user, I would, I would say it's also challenging, but the nice thing is if you have something that's flying, well and you like it i mean if it's not the latest and greatest i just try to be happy with what i already got until you get to the point you want to try something new Mm -hmm. uh there's some there's some people that always want to have the you know what's the newest what's the the next thing right Uh, and you're you're always going to be chasing the next thing then you're never going to be happy probably so i try to i for myself i try to just get something i like i end up flying it probably for six months and then i i something eventually says oh i really want to try that i (laughs) I push on the next thing but most of my quads I have are flying stuff from last year still. So, right. Um, so could, how do you, how do you guys do your R and D at that point like for your testing? Like, you know, obviously you want to buy you know, and brand your quality parts. Like how do you keep up with that, with that rule of products? And like, is, so do you, are you guys torture testing products and, and just evaluating things constantly? Yeah, there's a constant evaluation. Um, some of the products we're developing, you know, completely in house. Some of it we're working through third party manufacturers. Where we're OEMing through them, uh, mm-hmm. to where we want to vet, you know, a good product uh, through that too. So we still test it. Uh, the ones where we're developing it ourselves, the life's or the the cycle time is a lot longer usually, just because if you were to design something you knew that was going to be out of date in three to six months. Yeah. By the, time, by, the time, by the time you design, it's too late. So uh, we, we have to pick and choose which one we're going for, which category we're going for. Uh, one of the ones that Lumine is really focused on is motors and propellers. Uh, those are a little bit more guarded in terms of timelines and, and getting old, outdated too quickly. Uh, although when we started, you know, you'd have a choice of 10 motors or 10 different props at work. Now you have a choice of 500 different motors and <laughs> 500 different props all in five inch. It's crazy. So it's it's become saturated. But uh yeah, R and R and D is a. We, we do a lot of projects where you get you know halfway there and you they never see the light of day. Wow, and that's just that's just the way it is. Right. Um, but uh, the ones that do the, the ones that do finally hit those are it's a good feeling once you get them to market and you start start selling them. It's it's been good. Yeah, I I like how you started off when you said you know our first generation of quads had like airplane motors and, and airplane ESCs and now. It's flipped where we're seeing more and more aircraft, airplanes coming out running, you know, 20, 2204s and stuff right. like this and, mm-hmm. and really efficient ESCs and better battery tech. So it's kind of neat to see the inverse. And we talk about that a lot on our podcast where that, you know, it's because of the multi-rotor technologies 
being pushed so hard that everything is getting miniaturized and the flight controllers we're seeing more products coming out even for airplanes right. with stabilization of some sort and it's a board you know and it's and um you know it's it's really cool to see and and a couple of years ago when we, we you know we'd have our buddy david on who's the, you know the godfather of the uh tricopter <laughs> and we're like oh you know this the, these these boards and you know all the components and now it, that's exactly what we want you know and so it's really fascinating to see all that equipment going and i'm sure there's stuff that you know about that's coming down the pipe that's just going to blow everybody's minds away yeah there's always new stuff coming out um I mean the the Popo motor that we just released with the new quick quick attach system mm-hmm. yeah. uh, stands for pop on pop off. That <laughs> I think is going to really change the industry, and I think it's even going to fall into airplane categories eventually too. We've already had manufacturers approaching us saying, "Hey, will this work on an airplane?" Or users too. So I think it it definitely could. Uh, we're kind of starting our way small with a couple options, but the Popo motor allows you to people that know put on a prop without any nut or any tool. So you just push a little, little button, very similar to like a socket wrench, how it locks in with yeah. a little ball. And it allows you to pop on a prop. It has little cavities in the prop, and then you can put it on. Uh, the cool thing about the motor, too, is it is backwards compatible. The one we have launched right now, the Lumiere Popo, it has threads on top still. So if oh, wow. you didn't have a prop that was already Popo compatible, it would still work on the same motor with a nut just like normal. So it doesn't lock you into one type of prop or one type of motor. And the same thing is backwards compatible with the propellers, like the Luminar propeller, like a gate breaker that works with a Popo motor, also works with a normal motor just just as you would with a, with a nut. So the little cavities that are in the prop don't get in the way of using it on a normal motor. So that was important for us that we wanted to launch a product that was backwards compatible both ways. Because we knew that that's what it was going to take to really change the industry. And then on top of that, we are licensing out the technology to all the motor, major ah. motor and propeller manufacturers. So that's the real key, too. Because it's not going to. We didn't. We knew we're not going to change it just by Lumineer alone. We just don't. We don't cover all the market. Right. Yeah. But we. But we knew it was a product that had a a chance to really change the market. And to do that, we wanted everybody on board. And so far, we've had twelve companies that signed the license. And Tim's. Wow. Tim's in China right now. He's at the. He was actually just at the Beijing Hobby Expo, one of the biggest expos in China, uh, and we, I think he signed up a few more. So later this summer, I think you'll see a lot of options of motors and propellers coming out with the Popo mechanism uh, included in it, and that'll that'll be a big, I think, a big change to the industry because it'll just become what we we hope to be the standard. Hmm. Nice. And hey. so, who designed the that that? Who came up with that concept then? Yeah, so it was one of our in in-house engineers. His name's Dan. Um this project's been a long one. So this is one of the longest projects we've ever worked on from conception to actually having it in the in the shelves now. Um maybe a little over 2 years ago he came wow. to us with an idea. Uh I think he had one of those like little it was like a little pin with the little balls that you would use put in maybe a um it was like a locking pin. I get, I don't know what it was for, but he brought it in and he's like, "Hey, I think he just had the idea that was about the size of a shaft. Like, what if a prop could be held by this instead mm-hmm. of, you know, a nut? <clears throat> and we're like, oh, that's an interesting idea. I don't know if it'll work, you know. <clears throat> then we kind of pushed it off for a little bit. And then eventually I think he just he um, made a prototype of one, like 3D printed something. Because <laughs> he, he knew it, he knew we had to see it to, like, see understand how it was really going to work. Yeah. And he, he did, and he, he made one, and, it, you know, it was very rough, but it, you could – you got the idea right away. You're like, Oh, this could, mm-hmm. this could potentially work. So that kind of took us down the road of figuring out how can we make this thing? Cause we could make it, you know, one or two at a time, but we're, we're talking about, we have to make it in tens of thousands at a time. 
So the challenge from going from prototype to mass production is a whole other thing. And that's that's what really sets Lumineer apart from a lot of other brands because we're doing a lot of the R&D, the production, the actual manufacturing uh, ourselves. So uh, we built all the own machines that actually make the Popo shaft. It's a really cool machine. It has um, sensors on it for auto with the cameras. It'll auto-rotate the the pin and the shaft and then it has a punch a pneumatic punch that punches the hole that deforms the cavity so the ball bearings get captivated so it's a really cool system and that's that was an entire project in itself just to get the machine and now we have a bunch of those machines made and some are here in the u.s some are over in china and we're going full force in production now and um that's been a, a fun project to get to where it is today the, the cool thing was to the butter cutter propeller we designed it with that <laughs> cavity in it that nice. was released a year ago. Mm-hmm. We never told anybody, and nobody wow. even knows. <laughs> That's <laughs> crazy. But actually, one of the questions from one of our uh, listeners, Bill Decker, asked: So, how do you deal with uh, clones? How do you is, is this technology something that's going to be really difficult for someone to clone? Um, the, the tech itself isn't super difficult. I mean, coming up with it was was tough, but the difficulty is actually the precision engineering in this piece. Nice. So the the challenge of getting this just right, even for us, is very has been very hard. We've gotten to the point now where we can be very consistent, but to get there is not easy. Uh, so it's it's not I wouldn't say clone proof, but it's going to be very hard to clone well. Um, and on top of that, now that we've reached out to all the major manufacturers and they're agreed to licenses mm-hmm. or licenses, um, that will combat it itself too, because it'll be the official Popo and then maybe someday there'll be a cloner. But, uh, you know, if you have tw- 20 of the biggest companies already officially and you have some little guy that's trying to do it, then, you know, yeah. I don't, it's not as, yeah. they'll kind of take care of itself. Yeah. Everybody's going to go with the main brand product. Anyhow, that's, that's awesome though. Yeah. Like, the first time we saw that, I was like. I get it, cause mm-hmm. boy, you know, you're trying to you're trying to grab onto a bell. You get the motor, and if you got something that's you know really sharp blade, everybody's right. done it where they've taken a chunk out of their hand just trying to get a bolt or nut on or off sometimes mm-hmm. too. Oh, for sure. And then just the safety side too. If you know you get lazy, you don't take your props off. You know you should have. <laughs> yes, but it's a, but it's a pain in the butt. Yes. Now there's not much of an excuse. Even even our owner Tim, he has cuts all up and down his <laughs> his arm from when he did that with a tricopter back in the day. Oh, so man. most people have had some kind of story of getting chopped up. But hopefully this will help and um, make not only make it easier but also make it safer. Just because. You, you don't have a bunch of an excuse to not take them off now. Right. That's awesome. What What's funny is uh, you said this was two years in the making, and I think probably a, around a year ago when um, uh, DJI had the Phantom and, and had the quick disconnect props, and we had a big discussion out our field one time uh, with some of the other guys were like, you know, this is a, a great design. It's so simple on and off. And, you know, we're like, why can't they shrink this down and put this on smaller quads or mini quads or even for airplanes? Cause this is just amazing that, you know, and that's one of my big pet peeves of flying quads is crashing or like, Oh man, now I got to change props again and pull the nut off. And, you know, I just hate it. So it's just interesting that right. a year before that, you guys were already working on that. It really took two years for that to all come about. That's, to me that's crazy but that awesome yeah it, it did take a long time to get it all right getting all your ducks in a row and manufacturing and raw material and it just mm-hmm. takes time but 
we're there now and we're going full for, full force. We have some OEM customers we're already working for, making some custom versions of it. And I think this next six to 12 months, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll see a lot more of it. Yeah. Nice. Uh, uh, go ahead, Andre. I was going to say, so battery tech, we love talking about our battery tech. And, you know, we all started off 3S and then we saw the explosion of the 4S. Mm-hmm. And, and do you guys see things beyond that or do you see you know move uh, you know different lipo technology taking over over in time yeah i mean since i've started there like you're like you're saying the lipo tech has changed a lot even even and then um the the rc space kind of gets you know the lipo or the battery technology trickling down from bigger areas of um of industry but um like you said we started on 30c you know 3s batteries which were <laughs> the biggest and baddest back yeah. then but then now we're on 120c 6s batteries or whatever it is, you know? <laughs> it's it's pretty insane how much it's people are just getting faster and faster and more aggressive and then the batteries are just trying to keep up um but yeah, I've, I've seen a shift. Certainly 4S became the normal for mini quads f- for the last few years. Um, people are trying now to just kind of shift towards a 6L setup too with lower KV motors to get maybe a blend of efficiency slash really crazy power when you want it. So we're starting to see that more in the last six months. Um, some of us almost come full circle though even too. You see these trends that go up and down within the industry if you've been in it long enough. So when we started, you know, everything was big, long range, cruising. Yeah. And everything kind of sh- everything kind of shrunk down. How small can I make it and still still be fast? Mm-hmm. And now I think people have kind of got a little bored of that, and to some degree, and now they're like, "Oh, I can go a little bigger." I'm seeing videos now of seven inch props and six inch props. The differences are kind of a mini quad style acrobatic yeah. frame instead of a big aerial frame that mm-hmm. we used to have. But but people are exploring, you know, with the bigger stuff now, just because they're realizing, you know, if I want to go carry more go longer fly longer i need i need to be a little bit bigger so it's interesting to see that yeah and the battery technology is certainly a part of that um some people you know with the really long range stuff or even doing the lithium ion type packs if you don't need a a whole lot of discharge or amperage you can get away with it so you can fly you know hours literally on a <laughs> on a pack that's big enough if you uh, have the right setup yeah wow crazy i i wanted to jump back to the the technology a little bit um with it going so fast and things changing, do you have a guy over in China that uh, deals with you that goes around searching for tech, or do you actually have people coming up with this and they come to you? How does that work, or how do you guys actually keep up with the technology? A lot of it's through social-type interaction with social media. Actually, you find people that are working stuff, you know, I'm on Facebook, Instagram almost all day long, and it's part of my job really just wow. keep on track. What's what's the latest? Really, that's, you get information faster than even email usually <laughs> that way. And then you also have emails. We have you know we have hundreds of vendors that we deal with, um, mm-hmm. probably almost a thousand by now total. But uh, they tell you what they're working on coming out new. You have set up meetings with them trying to say, hey, what well, you got planned for the next six months? Have some some information ahead of time. And beyond that, we do have our own factory in China with our own Chinese workers. So they're, they're kind of have the ear to the ground and they're talking to vendors and suppliers out there too. And, um, honestly, a lot of it we do from the U S though, even from us talking to China. Um, and Tim, we, we take constant trips over there, checking on the factory, checking on vendors. Mm -hmm. So Tim's over there right now. He's had a two week, uh, stint over there in China. He just finished up 
at the Beijing Model Expo, Hobby Model Expo in China. And so he went and talked to a couple hundred vendors over there. So you, you kind of learn, you know, you, you keep your ties close with the ones that you've had relationships with for a while. And then usually you find a couple of new guys or something. Somebody's working on something new. And if you can get a little get a little advantage of knowing about it ahead of time, that can make all the difference. You know, you make you make a deal or you, you get the part first or something. But right. It's, wow, it's, that's... I mean, it's a, it's a full-time job keeping up with it for sure. It's, you fall asleep for a week, you're going to fall behind. Wow. That's interesting. Um, my other question too, about the, the technology is, you know, it, you know, things go in spurts, like all of a sudden maybe the boards get better and then they turn around and then the ESCs are better or whatever. But what is something do you think maybe is kind of peaked a little bit where you haven't seen it really, you know, is it frames or is it the boards or, or is there something in the, the multi-rotor scene that you think that's kind of maybe hit their limit or do you, or there's nothing like it just keeps going and going and going. Um, I think it's probably plateaued a little bit, you know, in the very beginning it was just like leaps and bounds. Yes. Bounds. It felt like all the time. I agree. So, uh, and you're, you're going to kind of get that with any industry that gets, it's so new. Uh, but I think it's it's leveled off a little bit. Um, I think even the pilot skill at some point, you know, when we started, like Sharpru would stick out so incredibly much because mm-hmm. he was just one of the one of the good ones, you know. Um, but now there's like hundreds of guys that are really good, um, if not more. Yeah. And so it's a little harder. To, it's a little harder to even stand out. You know, you you pretty much have to be a really good pilot plus a really good online personality slash social media person slash whatever. Uh, to gather a following that way. So it's tough to even pick out, you know, who's going to be the, the next influencer influencer or the, the big pilot type stuff. So that's plateaued in my mind in terms of the technology. Um, I mean, yeah, airframes haven't changed a whole lot in a while. Um, stuff's getting a little more compact and smaller than it used to be just cause it can be with the electronics also being smaller. So that kind of follows each other in, in terms of uh, how they're designed, but I wouldn't say any of it is real big changes. Stuff just becomes a little bit smaller, a little bit lighter, maybe a little stronger depending on um, materials that's chosen. Um, flight controllers, yeah, it goes in. It goes in waves. Like when yep. we were, you know, Clean Flight got in in um, involved, and all of a sudden that was a big jump from what everybody was flying before, and then kind of got forked off, and then Beta Flight became the norm for a while now. And uh, now people are kind of forking off of that. There's Kiss and there's other ones. Um, some guys are they're really pushing the uh, race flight. Uh, you know, the refresh times up to 32 kilohertz. You know, when we were flying, it was like not even a kilohertz uh, <laughs> back in the day. So it's like, but the result is you get these quads that I feel like they're on rails and there's no jitter. Like back in the day, you used to fly, you'd have to be like, oh, don't come straight down because you're going to be in your prop wash. And it's going to wiggle and you're going to like lose control, right? Like you had to think about that. I remember coming down at like 30 degree angles because you knew you didn't want to come down in your prop wash. But now you can, you'd be ripping around 80 miles an hour. You turn around and do a 180 and it's like, it just goes the other way. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's I pretty can't. incredible. I, it's amazing. I, I'm feeling out, I'm feeling out a date, Chris. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, even, even I, you know, back through the early days with the tricopter, I can remember, you know, David made it look so good. He had so much time in that thing and he was so smooth. And when I, I eventually got my hands on one and flew it, I was like, holy moly. I like guys just had to concentrate to keep this thing flying and keep it in the air. And then I actually uh, helped Chad Capper out on rotor DR one, did some shoots for the movie flying, uh, you know, and that was just the old tricopter with it that was built up with, um, you know, stuff around it. And, oh man, I was just sweating bullets, you know, 
And, and right. now, you know, you go out and buy, buy a ready to fly, you know, five inch quad or even some of the micro stuff and, you know, sit out, out in my backyard and just like Andre can attest and just, just crank around and have so much fun. And it's, you know, fun and kind of relaxing, but exciting at the same time. It's just crazy. Just in the, even the last couple of years, you know, how the technology has progressed. It's unreal. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think everything kind of is just progressing a bit by bit right now um for a little bit we were kind of jump into an hd video link with the connects pro site system yeah. uh yeah. it didn't it hasn't really become the normal and uh, i still think it, eventually it will i mean it just makes sense right eventually you go digital you go high definition mm-hmm. um i don't think anybody enjoys being on analog with right. a picture that's breaking up all the time um so i think there's room for that still to improve um, as size and cost continues to come down and there's maybe some new players that will start coming out with some technology that is low latency as well. Um, I mean, you even see it with the DJI equipment from where they started and where they're mm-hmm. at today. It's um, pretty incredible. Right. You know, you kind of take it for granted that you're just seeing like 1080p on your phone, you know, streaming two miles away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, yeah, actually, we, we had that conversation about FPV tech and 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 that was one thing we've said where it's just kind of not, uh, you know, it's, it hasn't made any progress where, you know, yes, everything has gotten smaller and, and a lot of people enjoy the, you know, the multi, uh, the, sorry, the, uh, the multi, uh, uh, power output transmitters and stuff, but we haven't seen that fundamental technology change that, 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 uh, you know, the digital and the, just the frequency hopping. So everybody's, you know, we were all flying today and everybody's standing around going, Oh, what are you on? What are you on? What are you on? So, right. What does that remind you of? Kind of like the old AM FM radio. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Right. Um, I, I think personally, as far as the HD, I think really, uh, you know, talk to a lot of people around here too. Everybody loves it and they want to do that, but it's a cost issue right now. I think once, like you said, Andy, the cost drops down a little bit or it gets a little bit easier then you know, I think everybody's just going to jump all over it. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. so. Right now we have the Connects Falcor, which is Amazon's drone that includes the pro site on GetFPV mm-hmm. and it's on like sale for 450 bucks when it was f- when it was first out, or four hundred even now, maybe oh, when wow. it was first out, it was like eight, eight or nine hundred dollars. So, yeah. if so, if someone's thinking about getting into it and they want a ready to go system, yeah, it's four ninety nine. Um, but that comes with an HD built into it with a receiver and a full ready to fly quad. So, like mm-hmm. you're literally out the door. All you need is goggles. So, um, it's it's become more affordable than it was. Um, but yeah, compared to analog, because the thing was when when it first came out, it was it wasn't too far. Probably when they developed it, but then analog started getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper mm-hmm. um you know video transmitters went from a hundred dollars to thirty dollars basically yeah, right yeah so, so comparatively yeah analog is still cheaper and i think that's a lot of people see that and they're just like well it's good enough for what i need yeah so they're gonna stick with it. right yep. um speaking of uh technology and everything one question i get and it's something that um i'm always wondering about too and i'm seeing them on the back on on your wall there is frames now, there's yep. so many different frames or so many different uh, companies that make frames. And a lot of times we get questions of like, hey, what frame do you like or what frame would you choose? And honestly, I don't know. Like, it just makes my head explode. 
I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about frames, uh, different setups, what they're good for, maybe different ones that would be better for beginners. And then also I'd like for you to maybe talk a little bit about, you know, some of the, you know, you can go buy a cheap frame from $10. What's the difference from buying a cheap frame for $10 or buying a good frame for 40 or $50? Right. Sure. Yeah. I mean, frames, Nowadays, they've kind of been, at least in mini quads, broken up into kind of two categories. You have your your racing frame for the guys that really want to go, uh, go for racing. They're not going to potentially put an HD camera on it. It's just like a dedicated race frame. Mm-hmm. Um, and that one is usually as compact as possible. You're not going to have a lot of extra room for putting accessories on it. You're kind of just, you got your stack in there, a flight controller and ESCs most likely, and then maybe a receiver and VTX kind of all stacked together. And then it's all just crammed in, um, you know, something, this isn't necessarily, well, this is kind of an in-between, but you know, everything's in there in the middle yeah. and you don't have a lot of, a lot of room. And then you have some that are a little more, more of a freestyle frame. Generally, they're a little bit longer. They have a little bit more room for some some accessories, maybe a GPS unit if you want. You're going for long range, um, and those ones are a little bit easier to build. Sometimes I would say just because it's not like you're trying to fit everything together like a Lego piece um, into the smallest portion spot possible, and they tend to weigh a little bit more. You know, the race frame you're looking at. 75 grams, something like that, to 100 grams of uh, carbon and hardware. And then freestyle ones usually are around like 90 to 120 grams or something like that. Uh, but so they're not too different. And honestly, they're very interchangeable. I mean, you th- it's only the guys that are trying to really maximize every little gram that mm-hmm. that uh, care about it. But you could go take a freestyle frame and race it, or you could take a race frame and probably fly it freestyle and stuff like that. Does the uh, does the GoPro session going away kind of affect some of your designs? Yeah, probably some. I mean, most designs nowadays, GoPro ends up going on top. So it's a little fluid in terms of how it would fit up there. But a lot of frames, yeah, are specifically designed around the session. When the session kind of hit, it took a little while for people to move over. But then once the price came down, uh, I would say it's – 75% of the time I see people at the session versus a larger GoPro. So yeah, it, that we'll have to see how that affects stuff. It, it may, um, I wonder if somebody else will end up taking over that form factor to a degree <laughs> or, uh, or if GoPro will end up releasing something else that you just haven't told us about. But, um, Very but yeah, cool. for sure that can affect it. Um, and it's a little tougher to, to fit the larger GoPro on there. I, right now I hear people just like stocking up on sessions off of eBay and wherever they can get them because <laughs> right. they're worried about, they're worried about losing them in terms of the, the carbon that you asked about. There is a difference in the cheap carbon and, and, uh, but the better carbon, um, usually you'll, you'll notice it in the crashes when you notice it. Sometimes manufacturing's even so poor that trying to put it together, you'll have holes that don't line up. So you'll end up having to like dremel out your own hole to make it fit. So you might save some bucks here or there, but, Mm-hmm. But when you th- when you think about it, when you're what you're putting up in the air and the amount of money, maybe you have some other nice stuff in there. Uh, do you want to sacrifice it on the frame or not? That's I guess a choice of how much money you want to save or not. But sometimes in the long run, it can cost you. You know, um, something I, I learned a long time ago from my old bosses, where we were saying we're not we're not the cheapest, but will cost. Or, yeah, we're not the cheapest, but will cost you the, the least. Yeah. So it's saying that you know, there's a middle ground where you want to yeah. be price sensitive, but you don't want to buy the cheap crap because you're going to end up spending more. Right. You're end up spending more in the long run. Um, so invest a little bit in some some decent equipment. I think it'll go a long way. Yeah. Yeah. Is yeah. there something in your opinion that's good for the beginner? Because again, we get a lot of newer listeners or 
you know, we we're we're slowly kind of the RC after hours is is branching more into the quad stuff here uh, as of probably last year, um, and so we still get a lot of uh, newer people that are were started out, you know, just like everybody else. We all seem to kind of yep. start out in planes, and when then we we see the FPV, and then we want to move into FPV and quad. So, is there a good setup or something you kind of recommend for beginners? Yeah, when like if you're getting started for the first time ever, say you've never flown a quad, we always recommend getting started with something small, because that way you're you're gonna get your feet wet without spending a lot of money. It also allows you to fly it usually indoors. So like one of the micro quadcopters, like the uh, Inductrix, or uh, one of the what people call tiny whoops, you know, where you kind of oh, customize yeah. your own. But those those are great way, great ways to get started. Uh, a couple hundred bucks out the door usually, and uh, you get a real sense for what flying a quad is like. Mm-hmm. You can bump into stuff, and you're not going to be replacing parts, uh, and you're not going to hurt yourself or somebody else by accident on your first flight. So those are a great way to get started. And then also flight simulators. Honestly, um, those those have come a long way since we started, and they're very realistic in terms of feel and flight. You can use your radio, actually hook it up to your computer, and you're you're flying. You get it's great way to get a lot of stick time in without spending money every time you crash right uh, right because it can get expensive quick if you're you're replacing parts every time so a combination between those two a small quad and a simulator you'll get a lot of hours under your belt and then you kind of move up to the next thing we do sell some ready to flies uh which are a nice way if you're a little worried about building in the beginning maybe you're not sure how it all goes together which parts to build that's a great way to get in the air without having to spend a whole lot of time. Uh, we always do stress to, to learn the equipment, learn, learn what it is. Cause you are going to crash it. You are going to probably have to repair something. And, uh, the more you know about it, the easier that's going to be. Um, so we don't, we don't suggest you just do it and, and never learn anything about it. Cause you're probably going to crash it, get frustrated. And then you're going to say, I don't want to do it anymore. Cause you just don't understand yep. all the, the components. Yep. I agree. It's the same, you know, with how many people we, uh, hear about they go out into the hobby store and uh, they'll sell them a jet right off the bat here you go have an electric ducted fan jet have a great experience (laughs) right um okay andy fill us in we want to know kind of what's next or on the cuff coming down the pike uh what can you tell us uh, as far as maybe technology or what do you see coming? There's got to be something out there maybe you can kind of fill us in or or give us a little bit of maybe hints or something of what's coming here soon or or relatively soon. Yeah. For us at Lumineer, we're actually we're um putting a lot of focus on the commercial space for drones and the industry. Um and that's not something that we had done too much in the past. But uh, it's something we're, we're getting into now. So we actually have a giant test stand that allows us to touch, test up to 60-inch propellers. Whoa. So oh, that's, been, yes. Yes, that's, that's, been, right. that's been pretty exciting, To I mean, we spun some up the other day, and it sounds like an aircraft just taxiing in the building. It's crazy. Wow. <laughs> so we're actually designing our own propellers uh, for the system because we right now the market has – very little choice once you get into that size for these heavy lift multi-rotors. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, have, you have about two or three props to choose from pretty much in terms of manufacturers. So we see a need there and we see some, some room for improvement in terms of uh, efficiency and even thrust and stuff like that. We have a really good aeronautical engineer that's on staff with us. Uh, he's the one that designs all our smaller propellers too. And he has some in- incredible um, algorithms and some, some software and some knowledge of how this all works. So he's been putting together prototype designs we've been CNCing out 40 inch blades cool uh, 
prototypes. It's really cool. I mean, we're t- making them out of solid pieces of wood and it looks like a work of art when you're done with it. You nice. you hope it stays together, but uh, it allows us to to bench test them, get some data compared to what's out there, and we can rapidly prototype. Then you know we can make a, a whole new prop in a day. Uh, and then make an iteration, make a change, do that again. So we're working our way towards that. You'll probably see that from Lumineer here later this year. Um, so we're talking about big carbon fiber blades because we're, yeah. we're seeing opportunities. We have a lot of companies and organizations coming to us looking for solutions that don't exist today hmm. in that in that space. So uh, that's where we see a lot of the growth in terms of the drone industry. Uh, we think the, the hobby space is still growing and still there, but I think the big growth is going to be once you get into commercial market, you start seeing once the FAA gets some more rules in place, you know, you start seeing some real guidelines of what's going to be there. Uh, we we believe you're going to see drones flying around like a normal occurrence, like in the movie Ready Player One. You know, there's 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 tricopters flying around just like normal, right? That's just part of that's part of life. So, but I think to some degree, that's where we believe it's going to happen. You're going to hmm. have delivery drones. You're going to have search and rescue drones. You're going to have surveillance drones. They're just going to be. They're yeah, going to be part culture, of the day, yeah. and all all those are going to need motors. All those are going to need propellers, and we're hopefully we're going to be the ones making them. So, and here here's a neat question on that: does 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 your knowledge or you know that does that information scale? You know, does that efficiency scale? Like, okay, this this you know this particular prop is awesome at this power set and this motor set. Can we make a bigger version of it, and will it actually perform? Or is this just I have to make a whole new design just right. to you know? So the, something. the knowledge definitely translates. So what you learn on the small stuff, you can put to use on the big stuff. But it isn't like I'm just going to go 10,000% <laughs> print it out. So you can do it. It's going to probably perform pretty pretty poorly because the the math and all everything really changes once the scale changes. Uh, the way everything reacts. The, the mass. Yeah. The, the mass, the RPM of the propeller the circumference, all that makes a difference for um, what speed it's going to be traveling at. Um, so you're really designing stuff from scratch, and that's that's one of the unique things that that we stress and, and do on every, every prop we do where we do actually design from scratch. We never take a prop that's a four-inch and just make it a five-inch. We might take some characteristics of something like that and say this really worked well and we're going to try that in this. Um, but we're, we're designing these from the ground up from scratch. So, yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and I, I guess I give you guys a little bit of credit because, you know, I've been, um, a little leery of, of what the FAA is really going to do. I've heard so, so many different rumors and, you know, what's going to happen. And, and, you know, are they trying to kind of shut down not, not only just what we're doing in the hobby, but a lot of this commercial stuff. And so, you know, I give you guys some credit of pushing forward and, and going into the commercial stuff because uh, right now I'm like, uh, I don't know what's going to happen. I really don't until they figure out, if they even do or ever figure out what they're going to do. I know. It's ridiculous. I know. We, we hope it's sooner than later as well. And uh, we just got to trust that, you know, something will happen eventually. I, I It feels like it's too big not to have something happen at this point. You know, there's too much excitement around it and too much industry that's interested in it commercially. So. I think I think they know that they're just trying to figure out they're not a fast moving organization that's for sure so they're trying to figure out what's what's the best way mm-hmm. to do it and yep we'll yeah. see hey there's a fantastic question by one of our listeners Michael Rosnick he says if there been any considerations for making an FPV system compatible with a new generation of VR headsets or maybe even 3D capable cameras 
Yeah, that is that is interesting. I know VR is a, a big growing space in, in the tech industry, um, and it seems like it would have a lot of overlap with FPV, which I think is possible. There are some systems out there today that kind of are a blend of that. There are 3D cameras out there that we sell even on our store today, and I have flown with them, and it, it's a whole new experience. It's crazy to have like a depth perception as you're flying. Yeah, um, especially when you get clo- when you get close to something, it's it's weird. It always makes you feel like it's a whole different thing but um it hasn't really caught on just because it's a little bigger you have two cameras it's it's tougher so it's for what it is it's really cool mm-hmm. in terms of vr i mean i i think there's definitely a future and a blend that that can cross over between those um if you think about the on-screen displays that we have now for multi-rotors and planes and all that and how it's really pretty basic um if you think about what's out there in terms of computing and virtual reality you can really you could blend in some pretty incredible stuff. Talk about a race where every gate is digital, right? In mm-hmm. a three D open space, um, augmented or, reality, or, yes. yeah, augmented reality, man. And that's, I mean, if you, it's possible, it's just more of implementing it and making it work. But it, it the text there is so imagine, I think some, somebody's going to Im- do it. Imagine <laughs> not having you know, imagine not having to rebuild a gate every other lap, yeah. right? And okay, right. the guy's gone through the gate. His power gets shut down until he gets through the gate. That's a that's a wild idea, <laughs> right? Right, and and people like uh, Alex, I'd be crazy. He's working on the wing with the laser yeah, the, tag, the iris system, yeah. uh, the iris system, and that's actually hooked up to your flight controller to where you get hit. It's going to make your plane jitter or whatever. <laughs> so uh, there's there's people working on ideas that are a little more of an augmented virtual reality type, you know, deal where you're seeing stuff in the real world from the virtual world kind of getting blended together and um, I'm uh, all for I, it. I think it's going to be really cool. It's just, it'll be interesting to see what, what comes out of it. And even from like the, the television production end of it, that's damn, that's, 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 <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, once quads get a little more processing power on board, I think we'll start seeing more opportunities like that. Uh, you know, we're running these chips that are, little 100 megahertz machines still but uh you yeah. start talking about 3d graphics and stuff like that you're gonna need a little more horsepower but uh people like you know, uh it's in your yeah. hands already yeah, kind of thing basically, yeah basically so, uh, like the, the teal drone that's coming out i don't yeah. know if you guys heard that but that's that's got an onboard gpu and uh it's just gonna be able to do a lot more so it's i think people are working on it uh you see it from other systems too like the um i can't remember the name of it but this new quad that has um the prop guards all around it. It's got like 12 cameras on board. Um, it just got released out in California. It's like 2,500 bucks. But anyway, it's, it's processing in real time, right? 12 cameras of wow. data and it can, a flight test just did a video on it. I think a week or okay. two ago where they tried to run it through trees and it was just, Oh, like, that's right. Yeah. The oh, camera, yeah, the, yeah, follow, yeah. the follow me cam. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was and, pretty incredible, right? I mean, it's just uh, all autonomous and it's dodging and, trees so yeah and doing a really good job of it yeah and yeah and, and we we know this technology exists you've got you know you have your your backup on your car system and everything where you've got the global view above it so you can see everything around so yeah it's just it, it's going into a car because well the, like you said the board needs a place to go so it's only gonna get smaller and smaller that's that is wicked <laughs> yeah, that's yeah interesting. excited to see see what happens wow um, Andre, did you have any more questions? I got a couple more for Andy before we let him go, but, uh, I know. Fire away. All right. Uh, a couple things, Andy. Uh, one thing I want to know is whether it could be something two years, three years ago, something current 
But I want to know what wowed you. What was something, whether tech or frame or something that come out that you just went, oh, my gosh, this is a game changer that really kind of blew your mind? Um, I remember when we first got to test the Connect system. So this was before it was even public. They came to us and showed it to us a prototype. We put it on a QV400. And for so long, I think a lot of people dreamed, like, why aren't we doing HD video, right? Mm-hmm. Like, And latency was always usually the reason or cost. But um, they were able to do it. We put it on. I flew it. I put on, at the time, it was head place. Yep. They were one of the only displays that were HD like that. But the picture is beautiful. It's like I was watching a GoPro. And I remember at that point, I was like, wow, this is what FPV should be like. Um, and I remember that was a big wow moment. And um, it hasn't quite got there in terms of everybody and the, the normal yet. But I, I remember that when that happened. We were flying out front of our building. And <laughs> that was that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, trying, to, trying to think of what else besides that. Um, I mean, honestly, new tech coming in almost almost weekly wows me to some degree. You know, I'm trying right. trying something, and I'm like, well, this is crazy. How's it How's it doing that? Where it's almost some of the power, the stacks now are almost plug and play with the ESC flight controller, video transmitter all in one. Where you used to have to do them all individually and do all that extra soldering, and it's making it really easy now. So that's really cool. Um, stuff's just getting smaller. We have a new frame coming out. We actually are working with Sharpoo on it, which is exciting and. Um, it's built around a 20 by 20 millimeter flight controller stack just because those have gotten to the point where you can fly full-size quads even on the, the little gear. Wow. Uh, so that, that that will be cool because it's just smaller, lighter, mm-hmm. but still more speed. You know, it's funny you mentioned HD because once I um, uh, got the Phantom and I do have a couple pairs of the head plays and there for a while we were doing a lot of air-to-air video stuff, you know, doing plane reviews and stuff. And, you know, with the HD and flying the Phantom, I got so spoiled. And then when I try to go back and fly a normal little <laughs> quad, I've told Andre a hundred times, I'm like, I don't like doing it anymore. I'm so used to the, the great picture and the HD and everything's so crystal clear. And right. ah, it just spoils that's, you. And that's the first thing we hear, too. You, we, it's a new person that's in the hobby, right? And they've mm-hmm. never seen it or, or know it. But you're flying and then you give them the goggles and go, oh, they 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 assume it's going to be high definition. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> right. They, that's what they saw on on YouTube with the GoPro. You know, yes. And you're like, oh, oh no, it's analog, and it's you're flying through lines uh, and breakup. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. I started off my teleporter bat oh, sharks, and the guys the guys just rid me so bad uh, because I would just be beaming as hard as I can. I'm going, what tree? <laughs> <laughs> and then I slowly upgraded. Actually, we have a good story. A couple of years ago when, uh, you know, Chad Capper let us fly stuff. And I was, I was flying around with my flight test, uh, um, Versacopter, which you guys help engineer with flight test. Yeah. And then Chad says, well, try this thing out, you know? And it was a, it was something that one of the rotor ride guys had tuned. And I was just stunned because I had been bombing around happy as anything in my, in my, mm-hmm. you know, with my Versacopter. And then we went and flew this little thing and it was the first time trying air mode. He's like, do a flip and a loop. And I was just stunned. And then I went back and flew my copter after I'm like, wow. You know, and yeah, it was they just, ruined it for you. Yes. <laughs> yes they really yes. did. And it, and it took a while, but, um, there's that great appreciation of just how much work it takes to dial these things in. But mm-hmm. like I said, the technology is getting faster and better and people can transfer files and, uh, it's yeah. just, uh, it, it's really neat to see. But, yeah. Uh, I kind of, I kind of do that every, every few months, you know, three or four months I make a new build and do all the latest. And then I'm like, wow, this yeah. is so much better than so what I used to fly. Yep. Right. And, uh, 
just to bring up another point too, uh, you know, we've, uh, you know, a year or so ago we had, um, uh, a couple of Rotor Riot guys on the show and talked to him and everything. And we had, um, uh, Chad was out. Um, oh, not Chad Capper, the other Chad. Oh, I can't think of his name. Um, yeah, Chad Nowak. And, um, you know, we watched him fly and some of the stuff he was doing, which really kind of blew my mind. And thinking like, there's no way I could, you know, his quad and the way he had it set up, I, I wouldn't even want to fly. It's probably way too difficult or whatever. And Chad Capper, actually, this was the same time Andre was down here, had one of his alien quads. It was tuned to his setting and everything. And he says, just try mm-hmm. it. And I'm like, I don't think I really want to. Like, this is going to be way over my, he said, no, I'm telling you, just try it. And when he finally put the transmitter in our hands and we flew, I honestly couldn't believe how easy and how precise and everything that quad really was. Like I thought it was just going to be a complete handful and there was no way I'd be even be able to control it, but it was just crazy how easy it was to fly. It was unreal. And it, it just, you know, changed my mind of the whole quad concept and what those, you know, guys were doing and you know, the, the future of it, it was unreal. Yeah. The difference between a well-tuned quad and one that's just kind of flying you you don't know until you try, no. right? It's like you're it's like you're it's like you're walking around without glasses, and then you put the glasses yes. on. And you go, oh, this is what it's supposed to be like. This is what, yes, yes, yeah. And yeah. Our our skill setter. Well, I I flashed the ES to the the the, uh, the flight controller. Okay, let's go. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not yeah. far. I'm not far much past that either. Yeah. A um, couple more questions here coming in on Facebook. Uh, is there any plans to release a quick release prop adapter that will work on some existing motors? Yeah, so we've we've talked to a couple of different manufacturers about some options like that. Uh, one idea was that you would take, you know, some of the bigger propeller airplane motors now already have a prop adapter you screw on there. So mm-hmm. it would be possible to make a Popo style um uh, a shaft that mm-hmm. would be a prop adapter essentially. Um, so that's an idea. It's not uh, in the works, but it has been um, talked about. And then also uh, there is a possibility of a lot of people that already have mini quad motors. Um, if the dimensions were to line up in terms of the shaft size, you could actually just change out an entire bell. So that might be cheaper. Yeah. So say you had a set of four motors, um, maybe that manufacturer decides to make some Popo bells that are just swappable you take the motor apart, swap the motor bell, and then you're ready to go with the popo. Right. Um, you, you can't really interchange the shaft so much because those are a press fit yeah. uh, system, mm-hmm. and then they're they're all ba- dynamically balanced once they're press fit in. So you'd, you'd have a hard time putting it and having a balanced motor if you tried to press it out. But if you swap the whole bell out, oh. that, sh- that yeah. should be possible. Mm-hmm. So it's more of a matter of just depending on the motors that you have and if the company who's making them, either Lumineer or some of these other companies like T-Motor, uh, if they have a part that's going to be swappable that way nice yeah that actually that's a fantastic idea just from from a you know saving parts and everything i mean uh you know how many of us have extra motors line they all get used eventually for some way they get strapped on a a wing or you you know use that spare motor for your quad they eventually get used up i guess but yeah that's a really good idea right all right and my last question is what's uh, in your wheelhouse, what today is one of your favorites or what are you flying now? 
Uh, yeah, my my go-to for a long time has been this uh, QAV Schizo. Uh-huh. It's the Dark Matter. He just had a new frame got released just a couple weeks ago, actually, the uh, Nova. Mm-hmm. This is the original Schizo. And still one of my favorite ones. It's uh, an X-Frame. I have a GoPro 3D printer mount on top. And this this thing is literally this is the prototype, the first one. Uh-huh. I, haven't been able, I haven't been able to kill it. I've had it for about a year. <laughs> I don't fly as much as some people, but this has had countless crashes and it's like, you know, you end up having a beater and mm-hmm. you just, you don't think it's the best, but you fly cause it just never lets you down. So, um, it's been a good one for me. I, t- I just recently went out to Arizona and I was flying it ar- around Sedona and the red rocks and took it out like a mile and back. And wow. it's, it's just, it's a quad that's been really good for me. And it's, it's my go-to. I have a couple others that I've been, you know, you get a new one to build and I always end up putting a couple batteries on this one when I'm out flying. So that's my favorite right now. Nice. What, uh, what radio system do you fly with? Uh, FR sky really just nice. stock ones. Yeah. Uh, I did long range back in the early days when I was doing 433. Um, but I had <laughs> now, yeah. nowadays, most of my flying's in a park, not very mm-hmm. far. So, so just FR sky, um, the receivers are crazy tiny now, so they're they're real easy. Nice. Well, thanks, Andy. We really appreciate uh, you know all the information you've gave us. I, I find it very intriguing talking to you, uh, people that own the businesses or are highly involved at you know behind the scenes stuff. And I think you know we've heard it a lot from our listeners that you know they appreciate you know what goes on behind the scenes and what you guys do. Uh, and also, if anybody's listening out there, we do have a code for Get FPV. Um, we've been throwing it out there the last couple months. Just uh, if, you, if you spend $120 at GetFPV.com, if you type in After Hours 2018, you get 10% off your entire order. So remember that, folks. And by the way, Andy, do you know, how's that code doing for you guys? Any idea? Well, it's doing good. Sometimes I say a little too good, but... Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we can't complain. No, it's doing well. I see a lot of people using it, so uh, Good. I'm glad they are. Good. Fantastic. So remember that, everyone. Go spend 120 bucks to get FPV. It's very easy to do if you're you know, looking for quad or parts or cameras or anything. 120 bucks goes really quick, so go spend 120 Use the After Hours 2018 code and save 10% off your entire order. Thank you, Andy. We appreciate it. You're welcome back anytime. We love to talk to you. And, uh, you know, if there's something new coming out or you want to press some products or whatever, just uh, let us know and we'll get you on anytime, buddy. Awesome. I appreciate it. I had a a really good time talking to you guys. Thank you. All right. Take care and we'll talk to you soon. See you. All right. See you later. There you go, everybody. Andy from Get FPV. Uh, Fantastic. A lot of cool information, Andre. I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's nice that, uh, the, you know, that, that, that there's no snow on the ground in Ottawa anymore. The last <laughs> patch of snow melted off my front driveway. Wow. You can see my face. I have a sunburn. <laughs> wow. Awesome. And, uh, so it's funny because uh, the wings are out, and now um, you know I got to start you know get the dust off some of my old quads. Mm-hmm. You know, as we were right. uh, you know we're approaching the May trip, so I got to have a few weapons ready to go. And I do have to uh, thank my buddy uh, Chris Gooden. Mm-hmm. There is now an Inductrix Pro uh, sitting in my collection. So <laughs> um, nice. Point of reference on that one. 
it's a lot more mass going into walls in the house and yeah. your wife yelling at me. So yeah. something to know. <laughs> right. Hey, uh, folks, don't worry. We're not going anywhere yet. We just had Andy on for a good hour or so, but we got a few more things we're going to cover. I think Andre got out and did a little flying and a little crashing, so we're going to talk to him about that. I uh, got a few <laughs> crash stories in the email I've been saving, so we're going to run into that. So we're not done yet. I know it might be getting late for some of you, uh, but uh, we're going to keep on going for a little while. So, Andre, fill us in. I know you got out. I've seen the pictures on all the stuff you were taking out. and the, But, yeah, but the, none of the but, Jets have made it out yet, have they? The Jets no, have not no, made the, it. The field is not ready yet. I mm-hmm. had the Park Zone Corsair out on Saturday, and even that had a little bump in the uh, on the, the the gravel field is just it's all rough and everything. So everything once it heats up, everything should settle down. Uh, but it was nice Saturday. I flew the GT again on the 6S 3300s. Uh, sorry, yes, uh, versus the 62s, and it flew a little nicer. It's a little lighter on landing. Um, so I'm getting used to landing that aircraft. Um, nice and yeah. Bill Decker says it's going to snow now. No, Bill. We're into the double digits. Look, look at this face. I should have had sunscreen on today. So this is a fantastic problem to have. Um, and then I got out today and I flew. And uh, yeah, I uh, after after days and hours of uh, of, of printing, uh, you know, the little tiny Spitfire. It is. It's uh, yeah. The video is impressive. Whoa. Uh, yeah, look at that. It just it just it just exploded. It was awesome. So uh, it was probably a little tail heavy, which is really surprising because I had about 30, 40 extra grams of weight in the nose and it took off and it just kind of shattered. It was priceless, man. Um, but otherwise I was up and I was flying FPV today. I you know, I was I flew a little bit of everything from uh, from a Talon uh, to the video aerial system uh, Gremlin. And there was a couple others. Um, I did not fly FPV on the 900 mil because it was just I didn't have a spotter. Mm. But that thing is nasty. Thing is just, <laughs> so you just flew a line of sight then? Line of sight because it made such a racket at the park that I didn't want anybody to get cranky with me as I blitzed by. But um, that T motor, oh my goodness, mm-hmm. that was an F80 on 4S with a triple blade prop. I'm like, wow. <laughs> Yeah, we, we spun it up last night for the first time here in the base of myself and Martin, and I was giggling. And I don't know if you, were, when you were testing yours, Chris, but mm-hmm. if, if you give it too much throttle before you throw it, it will like try and wrap itself around. Oh you. yeah, so it's yeah, like, yeah. You know, quarter quarter throw throw, uh, you mm-hmm. know, and it took off. And then um, I had a camera on board of it, so I do have some onboard video that I'm going to play with. Um, but it was just neat to go FPV flying again. You know, I hadn't right. done that in, in forever. But that, yeah. Where's the uh, oh, the fuselage is on the other side, but <laughs> that poor Spitfire, I felt so, so bad. So what exactly happened? I mean, I and and did you post any of the pictures of the crash scene? Because I seen a couple yes. of it, and I was like, yes. it looks like a real airplane crash. Like <laughs> the just, parts were spread out for a mile. It was just carnage. I I think I clipped the tree. Uh-huh. Um, it was it was squirrely. The plane was squirrely. Uh, I thought I got it, and I was uh, it came around, and the wings were dipping left and right, left and right. So I'm like, okay, apply some power. And I think as I went by, I clipped the tree, or I just smacked it off the ground, and it just went, <laughs> pish, and everything just went. I really got to find where's the fuselage. <laughs> and it's funny because we we talked about you know what would happen to one of these 3D. Pl- 
printed planes when it does crash that it's probably just going to explode and there's going to be pieces everywhere. And that's that's really what happened. It l- literally uh, it, hit yeah. and exploded. Like oh my gosh! My hand part of the tail section and it, and it just shredded itself. So I um I, I felt the first one did better. So maybe mm-hmm. I've gone a little too back uh, or you know maybe the film it just didn't bond as well but it's it's kind of interesting that it just kind of shredded everybody's like yeah yard sale Uh, um, that's basically what it was i'm trying oh there's there's, oh there's there's, a fuse yeah wow (laughs) it's funny because i probably could reprint most of it Mm -hmm. but i'm like okay I'm, i'm moving on i'll um the spitfire is the 3d lab prints first design and it is inherent Tail heavy, mm-hmm. so no matter how good it is, and and I mean, you know, I had a whack, Holy I had the battery cow. all the way forward, and I had a whack load of change just to give me some nose, some extra nose weight. And uh, the the previous plane, I think, was a tail heavy as well, and it just it just I didn't have enough power, but I had a much larger power system right in there, and you know, it should have went. Oh well, yeah, you know. I haven't crashed in in a couple of weeks, so. Yeah. Now, now, does this make you worried for the the giant Spitfire at all? Try, you know, trying to get uh, it going. Yeah. <laughs> but, but again, yeah. you know that that's sitting here waiting to go. Uh, that will get glued very shortly. But I've got oh. a couple. I want to get a couple of my wings that I've uh, picked up. I want to get one or two of those ready for our trip uh, in May. Mm-hmm. And then my goal was to have the uh, the, the the big the seventeen hundred millimeter Spitfire ready for flight fest, uh, which is probably a really ridiculous idea. But you know, I'm about being ridiculous. At least this one didn't melt, right? Uh, yeah, that's post- true. We posted pictures to the to the uh, to the chat one of our chat groups, uh, and I had rubber bands all over it. We're like, <laughs> no, yeah. Uh, going <laughs> so, back, going back to the. Uh, FPV wing too. Um, you know, we didn't really talk a lot about it, but I did fly it and I flew it quite a bit FPV until I had a signal problem with it. Um, but we yeah. were doing high speed passes with it. Uh, FPV, we're having a blast with it. Uh, and I, I did get the parts. It really, the only thing it broke was the, um, uh, the carbon spars on, you know, the wings are detachable. They kind of hold together with magnets as andrea will show you yes exactly and only only one of the carbon rods broke so for like 12 dollars, yeah. you got a whole set of parts with the rods and everything put it back together mike has been so excited to fly this thing so i put it back together i gave it to mike so when we do get out i'm sure mike that's one of the first things he's gonna have out there cranking around he's really excited but uh you're right with the four cell and the little t-motor that thing goodness yeah. what a sound yes I, I, like i said i'll post a video later on i have i have videos uh, i didn't even do a friday flying update on friday because uh. i was just so busy with work and everything uh but i have videos from all weekend flying along and just the various aircraft and just uh you know oh oh, oh what's what's that big box behind me <laughs> where <laughs> Oh, that can't be another jet. Can't be, another, can't be another jet. jet. No, no, Andre, get another jet. He has I mean, your first jet. your 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 jet collection is starting to look like your wing collection. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, geez, yeah. And so there's uh, there's a lot going on. There's going to be a lot of testing between now and, and the trip, and then we'll have to figure out. We're really going to have to decide what comes with me and uh i still want to be able to come back with another jet uh, oh, in, in may gosh. that i'll order just to save on shipping and stuff so Holy i'm, I'm mad I'm, 
I'm bad. I just like, you know, you gotta have fun. But yes, there is a yak. That is an FMS yak. So I now have uh, one free wing product and one uh, FMS jet just to compare. And uh, mm-hmm. hold on. I'm in the box over here. It's pretty. It's big, though. It is good size. I was really shocked uh, how big it actually is. Oh, yeah. Let me put you up on the screen here. So what do you think of the quality and everything uh, compared to the free wing? Did you check them, you know, kind of compare them a little bit? I will compare them, uh, and I actually one of my buddies here at the field has got the free wing, mm-hmm. so we need to go back and forth. I mean, yeah. we, we all know the story of the two companies, right? So, right, um, you know the the free wing guys are former FMS guys. Uh, it'll just be neat, and and honestly, it wasn't a um, okay. Yes, it was a bit of a you know impulse purchase, but that's that's <laughs> the whole hobby, right? Yeah. But I have the six S thirty three hundred batteries that fit this aircraft perfectly and then i have my 6s um the uh, 6200s which will fit in the hawk so now i can go and fly so i will theoretically have four uh you know jets to play with and i probably um i probably see myself getting one of the 64 mils when i'm down in ohio this year Ah. Uh, just so i have a 3s and i've got the i've got you know just a variety of them because we all have those that we've talked about that so yeah Mm -hmm. bill decker jet yeah exactly (laughs) yeah uh, we're we're gonna make a new t-shirt that's gonna have (laughs) our hours jet there you you go working on that there you go um but it's uh, it's just uh, I figured I liked the FMS Viper. It looked neat, mm-hmm. but it yep. doesn't come with flaps. And for the same uh, price, the Yak comes with flaps. And my wife oh. said, oh, "I like the red one." And I went, Duh. <laughs> "I'm not going to argue. I'll take it." Oh, that's uh, exactly. Funny. So slowly getting all the warbirds together, and I, I, I flew. You can see it way in the background. I flew the uh, the Park Zone Corsair for the first time before. Like there are photos, and people are like, "Your planes are dusty." I'm like, "Well, they sit yes. for six months, seven months a year." Right. And I forgot just how good uh, the uh, the Corsair flew, and I was just beaming the thing around and just having a really good time, touch and goes. And it, it had just been such a long time since I had flown that warbird so i was like okay great and then i was like i really wish i had a, a belly lander so mm-hmm. saturday night the spitfire starts coming together mm-hmm. and unfortunately now it's uh well it's 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 scrap for now <laughs> wow uh, i probably won't bother trying to repair it at this time we're reprinting but you know yeah did i'm uh, gonna see a package are for a friday flying update <laughs> <laughs> Chris, Chris, Chris knows about this. Chris yes. gets spontaneous emails from me before May and before July, right. going, "Okay, what's going to fit?" So, uh, it's only a matter of time until he's holding two big eighty millimeters <laughs> and F fourteen. Oh, a ten. I'd get an A ten before an F fourteen. Wow, that's good, Andre. I'm glad. I'm glad you finally got out. <laughs> you actually beat me out to the flying field. It's been a long, long time since I've been out. Yeah. But uh sounds like you had a good time. Did you hey, did you get video of that crash with the Spitfire? Yes. Yes, in the video I'll, I'll put it on to the I'll, I'll I'll put it onto the RC After Hours Facebook page and it is on my Instagram page. Uh my email is going crazy today and people are still commenting. And the the general consensus is, is that it's tail heavy, but uh-huh. even then it's I think just it was just a factor of everything right uh, of course it would be the only tree around yeah it's the latest comment so yeah and i've tapped that tree before and it's just but it's just the, the way it exploded and i i laughed i laughed so hard so um 
Would uh, Bill Decker is asking, would the Durfly vampire be a good first EDF or first plane? Yes, uh, I would. I think yeah, so. You know what? Yeah, because it, it is it handles. Um, you don't get the rudder, but it is a trike landing gear, right? Mm-hmm. Versus a tail dragger, so you've got to grease those landings a little bit. But that airplane can land as a belly lander, so you could take off on the gear and you could land with the retracts up. And landed in the grass just fine. Yeah. So <laughs> video, yes, there is video of everything. Um, Vegan yeah. is also yes. yeah. The, the, yes. I would say the Vegan's probably one of the best first you know beginner jets. But um, you know, seeing the Vampire fly the the uh, slow flight capabilities, you know, it's not a rocket ship. Um, it's you know, if if you got if you're an intermediate and you got some flying experience, want to go to a jet and you like the Vampire, I don't think you'd have any problems with it. So. Yeah. Well, good. Glad so, you got out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, I'm going to, my goal is to have something that I can fly with you when you're up with your, uh, uh, Optera. Mm. So I may try and get some of the bigger ones. I mean, I've got a couple of the larger wings or I may just go with the small stuff and just be like this harassing problem that you're trying to avoid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no problems there. You're going along and I could just be like nudging your wing, you know, we, come on, come we on. We just have to <laughs> keep an eye out for Mike. Uh, you know, Mike's a problem. Mike. <laughs> Speaking of Mike, I'm surprised he's but not I- on here. You know, if if he would have popped on here tonight, I would have been a little upset because he told me he's like, ah, I got to have my beauty rest for my turkey hunting, you know, at three o'clock in the morning. So I'm really surprised <laughs> that turkeys uh, care. Yes. The turkeys care what Mike looks like. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> Swear to gosh, I'm going to wake up at four o'clock in the morning. We're going to start texting him. What you yes. doing, Mike? What you doing? Stop yeah, it. Stop yeah, it. Yeah. We ought to start a podcast at four o'clock in the morning just so we can bother him, you know. Uh, um, hey, there. The international show. Uh, we got a couple other things here before we get out of here tonight. Um, real quick, do you guys want to, or I guess what we're going to do it anyway, uh, talk about a few um, new products here real quick. We'll we'll go through them, uh, chat about them a little bit, and uh, get going here. First thing I want to talk about, um, surprisingly, I was, I was a little shocked with this one, uh, Horizon Hobby brought back the Ultra Micro GB R-2 Bind and Fly Basic. Now, they brought it back and has added the AS3X and the Safe Select. Uh, I think it's the same plane that they had originally. Um, and I'm trying to remember uh, if the AS3X, I can't remember if it had it or it didn't have it at the time. That's something I can't remember. Um, but anyway, the new one does have it for sure. And they also added the Safe uh, Select. Um, so what you're getting is the... E-Flight Ultra Micro GB R2 Ultra Micro model. It's ready to groove through the skies just about anywhere because it features specially tuned handling more in the common with a friendly sport model than a short coupled golden age racer. Awe inspiring. <laughs> you mean it won't spiral out of town? Yes. It, yeah. Awe inspiring with authentic scale outline and abundant details such as flying wires and a pilot. This replica offers handling so remarkable, smooth, you want to fly it every day. AS3X technology works behind the scenes to give you let you enjoy the outstanding control and the technology features the assistance of automatic self-leveling pitch and bank angles limited that make it possible to successfully fly such a unique design even if you are a relatively new rc pilot uh, fully assembled high power brushless motor that's using their two cell uh, power pack with the 200 to 280 milliamp lipo battery so this really falls right into the uh rest of the ultra micro 
Um, abundant scale, if you look, uh, there's a picture here. It actually has like the flying wires. It looks fantastic. Uh, you get all the detail. Full feature replica includes the look of stretched covering, flying wires, wheel pants, and the pilot. Yet the entire model is remarkably lightweight, so it's the best experience possible. I'll give you a run through some specs real quick here. Uh, it's 105 grams or 3.7 ounces. It's only 13.9 inches or 352 millimeters. Five channels, uh, 180 size, uh, 3600 kV brushless motor. Uh, like I said, 200 to 280 milliamp two cell. And the wingspan is only 20.1 inches or 510 millimeters. Now, the looks of this plane uh, is fantastic. It is unbelievable looks-wise. And to be able to fly a GB is unreal anyway. And if it flies good and being an ultra micro, I think that you know, says something. And just looking through some of the pictures here, it does. I mean, look at that. That is crazy looking. Yeah, that is neat. Beautiful, beautiful looking airplane. For sure. So if it's something you've been kind of wondering, and uh, I think the other, the original one was discontinued quite a while ago, and they brought it back, and it flies better, and, you know, something you want, it, you know, get it, because it, uh, I love the looks of it, for sure. So there you have it. That's the Ultra Micro GB R2 Bond and Fly Basic. Moving on here, we got the DuraFly from Hobby King, the DuraFly Slowpoke. 1200 millimeter. This is this plane's a lot bigger than I thought it was going to be. 1200 millimeter, yeah. uh, 47.2 plug and fly. Now, this is kind of a classic slow flyer, I guess you could say, Andre. Mm -hmm. uh, the slow poke is an EPO, EPO foam model, classic design, adding to the easy flying design of the slow, original slow poke. Durafly has added some larger wheels to make it even easier to take off and land on a wide variety of fields. A great plane for your first low-wing tail dragger or for the discerning, experienced pilot wanting a great-looking, easy-flying plane. The large wing make for an easy-flying, right down to walking pace landings. The power plant, 3648, 700 kV motor, 40 amp BSC, provides all the power you need. 9-gram servos, uh, pre-fitted ball links on the control surfaces. Like all Duraflies, building takes next to no time. Easy to build, smooth, lightweight foam, plug-and-fly format. Just add your own radio and battery. Uh, let's see, 1,200 millimeters. I'm trying to see what the – okay, 2,200 to a 2,700 three-cell. So yeah. basic battery. Four-channel control, elevator, rudder, throttle, and aileron. Pre-assembled. Mm, looks good. So, you know, you yeah. want something maybe you got a bigger yard or something very relaxing to fly – and you want a classic airplane, this is it. This is what you're going to get. Mm -hmm. I, I actually like the looks of it. I think it looks cool. It's yeah. different. You know, just but basic. it's got some go to it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Got the big fake motor in the front of it. I'm trying to look. Uh, pilot. Just glancing through the pictures here a little bit. 149.20 is what the U.S. price is right now. Oh, did I, yep. I didn't give the price of the GB either, did I? Let me look. Uh, price of the Horizon Hobby GB was 130 US. Yeah. So if anybody was looking, so there you have it. That's the Durafly Slowpoke. Mm-hmm. Next on the list, and we talked about this with Steve a little bit, and uh, 
Mike was kind of excited because he had the original one, but they brought back uh, the Kinetic. But now it is the Super Kinetic Aerobatic Sport Glider, uh, 1815 millimeters. Says if you're looking for a fast, fun aerobatic sport model that can be flown just about anywhere, the Super Kinetic is what you're after. From high speed aerobatics, including pylon style bank and yank flying to power off gliding, the Super Kinetic handles it all. Now, what I will say, even when Mike had the um, the older one, that was something that was uh, pretty cool about it. We, we were flying it down at Chad's, and if you wanted to just go full throttle and buzz the field or whatever, you could do that, aerobatics, but then you could just cut the power, and the thing would really glide around. And honestly, you could probably almost thermal it if you had you know some some good thermals. It was a fun little airplane. Uh, the new one's constructed of ultra-durable EPO foam featuring carbon fiber reinforcement in all the right places. Super kinetic airframe is strong and responsive. Both the ailerons and rudder feature ball-link push rods. Uh, everybody seems to be going to the ball links. That's uh, quite the big deal, and it does make yeah. a difference. I know Durafly's been doing yeah. that a lot lately. Uh, let's see. Basically a bank and yank model on its, uh, you can pull 180 degree turn at full power with no issues. Nice. Plug and fly ready, wide flight envelope, high speed or power off gliding, powerful 2630,000 kV brushless motor. All, all moving horizontal stabilizer, EPO foam, fold, folding prop and spinner. Uh, 20 amp ESC. Uh, and it flies on a three-cell 800 to 900 LiPo battery. So that's a pretty small, cheap battery. So if you want something small, fun, pretty versatile, uh, maybe you don't have a big space, uh, check that out, the Super Kinetic. That's a pretty cool little sport glider. Uh, let's see, what else do they have? Uh, last but not least, I want to talk a little bit again. This is something we talked about with Steve. Oh. I always keep forgetting to give the price of these. Kinetic glider is only, Andre, 6707 US. That's pretty cheap for an airplane for what you're yep. getting. $67. That's wow. one that you could leave in your car with an additional remote and just have it there. So it's yeah. pretty cool. And, you know, looking at Mike's, you know, it didn't matter if he had zero wind or if he had 20 mile an hour wind, the thing would actually fly good, even though it was small. Yeah. So it's pretty versatile. It okay. It a little bit of the walrus, but on small scale. Yeah. 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 And last but not least, I just wanted to talk a little bit about this because, uh, Steve, um, from hobby King, when we had him on, we were talking about the Durafly sidewinder FPV racing wing and, um, yeah. it's out. 1100 millimeter it's 43.3 it's a plug and fly exceed 100 miles an hour with the ultra fast sidewinder designed for fast fpv flight the aircraft arrives fully built with a pre-installed electronics and navigational lights Ooh, i didn't realize it had navigational lights hmm, interesting yeah you can a, color switch them huh for a wing that's interesting Choose between multiple colored decals, including red, yellow, green, and silver. Each of these colors has a matching tail light to help personalize your wing. Hmm. Plug-and-play aircraft features separate compartments for the motor ESC to help reduce interference. Made of EPO foam, one-piece construction, full-length carbon rods inside for stability. The Durafly Sidewinder has been designed with a built-in in dummy antenna to balance out the aircraft once your working antenna is attached. 
The Sidewinder includes differently sized landing skids, which can be swapped out depending on the landing terrain. The Sidewinder is a real speed machine for those willing to chase the thrill. Arise fully assembled, pre-installed electronics designed for FPV. Choose between multiple color decals, separate motor ESC compartment, full-length carbon rods, one-piece EPO foam. Uh, like I said, 1,100 millimeters, weights 580 grams without battery and FPV, 50-amp ESC, good size uh, ESC in that little thing, 35, yeah. 36, 2,000 kV brushless out motor, 5 by 4 by 5 prop included. Dis- discard the included 50 by 50 as it will exceed the speed limit of this aircraft. That's a little note they have at the bottom. That's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> but over a hundred mile an hour wing fpv wing and it, it's uh it's a sleek looking like you just looking at it you can tell it's fast so all you got to do is put in your radio gear and whatever fpv equipment yeah. you want to and go to town yeah that 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 would be a fun if you're you know like uh, i'm having fun building these wings and learning a lot but if you're looking for something out of the box that yeah. one looks really nice because it's it it's it seems to be using, you know, ideas from a bunch of pre-made or, you know, your plug-and-play wings. I like that, the, the, the cover top. It's got the reinforcements along the leading edges. So, mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, uh, and, and the power the power system on there seems pretty good. So Yeah, and I remember you know, watching the videos in the early days when Stuart was actually showing it to us. And I was, whoa, like blown away at how fast this thing really was. And it's all ready to go for 140 bucks US, so that's yep. pretty good price for a hundred mile an hour. We might have to put, we might have to put them on our that one on our radar for for our May trip. Man, chasing each other around with that thing, we gotta have some serious yeah, what, space, what, right? What could go wrong? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what could go wrong? Yeah. So there you have it for some new products. That's about the only thing I really seen out there in the last week or so. If there's anything else out there. The T twenty eight. Oh yeah, T twenty eight. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you forgot the T twenty. Like, oh my man. <laughs> Are you talking I, about the Parkstone? Yes, I thought we, I thought we talked about that on our last podcast from the uh, the show. I'm pretty sure I did. Pretty sure we did. Yeah, we did. We uh, said they brought it back and added the uh, AS three X and everything to it with the safe. That's true. Yep. Yep. That's still pretty neat. That's a good price point too. Yeah, and you know, again, somebody's stepping up from the beginner phase. Want to get a, you know, I remember talking about, you know, you yep. want to get into a warbird, uh, something that flies that's really true. good, that's easy true. to land. Yeah, that's good airplane. Uh, okay, before we get out of here, uh, I got to read some emails here because uh, we've been behind. I got a barking dog downstairs. Uh, let's see. First one here, email I have is from Andrew Gardner. He says, I recently built a 120% scaled up FT Mini Guinea with 2205 motors running four cell. Talk about a beast. After flying it a few times, I decided to install a flight controller into it to get some fun features like auto launch where you just chuck it and the FC senses and throws and spools up the motors and climbs out. Of course, the day I got it all installed in my radio setup, it was a little windy. Of course, that wasn't about to stop me. Why would it stop you if it's windy and you got a new airplane? You got to fly it, right? Across from my driveway is a wide open farm field. So I chucked it in the air. The auto launch worked great. I took control back and struggled with her a little while in the wind. 
guessing it was about 20 miles an hour plus gust, which that's that's quite a bit for an airplane, honestly. Even a real air, uh, you know, real airplane, uh, you know, 20 mile an hour is a lot. Anyway, rattle on. I started to fly back back towards the direction where I was standing, which was with the wind, and I quickly realized I was headed towards the tree line. I was standing along the tree line, which is about 70 uh, 70 foot tall pine trees and other small trees mixed in. Well, of course, I cr- clipped a branch which pulled the plane into the tree. I disarmed the motors on impact. Big mistake because it came to rest almost upside down, which meant I couldn't arm it again to spin the motors to try to get it out of the trees. I tried fishing rods, a large wrench with paracord, using my three-inch race quad to fly the the line over the tree. He's getting really creative now. I love this. I tried fishing rods, a large wrench with paracord, using a three-inch race quad to fly a line over the branch to shake it. This is great. None of it worked. I finally got my five-inch quad out and tried to bash into it and knock it free. Oh, my gosh. After several tries, it was not moving, and I had to leave it there. I kept an eye on it for the next two days, and it wasn't moving at all. On the way home from a multi-GP race practice on Sunday, I decided to try again. After two really good hits, I figured the next hit or two would do the job, so I went to set my GoPro on the ground face up to record it. As I positioned the GoPro to get the plane in frame, I heard a noise above me. A gust of wind had knocked it free. I've decided that the airframe will be dismantled, but I do plan to explore a similar build this summer. That's funny. That is a great story. <laughs> I'll just get out my five-inch quad and start bashing quad, into run it. Into it. Run into the airplane. What could go wrong? Yeah. Good story there, Andrew Gardner. Uh, let's see. Oh, I know what I wanted to talk about real quick. This is in the email, and it actually worked. Um, this is from Bill Burgess, and actually he sent an email in for Adam Drain, and we also got a couple other messages on Facebook about it. Yes, and about the uh, the spectrum. DX9 because uh, we had Adam on. He was all kind of bummed out. He bought a used DX9. He couldn't get it updated, and he was blah, blah, blah. So anyway, uh, real quick, he says, Adam, I, or for Adam, I bought a used DX9 and wasn't able to upgrade it because it was already registered. Unable to recall the seller, I contacted a local hobby shop and they called Horizon and they were able to remove the previous owner. Within minutes, I was able to register and upgrade. I guess they had more clout than I did. I would try this if I was you and don't. if you don't get any help, I would call Horizon and ask to talk to a manager. Not sure what ver- version you are, but there were many changes on mine and I highly recommend upgrading. Uh, we talked to Adam afterwards, and he did get a hold of somebody at Horizon, and they did deactivate it, and he re-registered, and he updated it, and he's all happy. It worked out fantastic. So, again, if that, anybody – now, Go ahead. I was going to say, now he has a radio for every plane he owns. Oh, my gosh. Did you see the picture of his radio list? <laughs> see the photo? Yes, that's what we were teasing him about. He's like, you I know? really have a problem. I'm like, you think? You know? <laughs> Holy cow. Most, most people just get planes. Adam gets radios. Uh, we, Adam, do you even have enough receivers? <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, is he has probably three times as many planes that he's bought on Craigslist as he does radios, but uh, it's crazy. 
So anyway, he's a he's a happy camper. He got his DX9 uh, registered. It's got all the updates because I kept telling him the latest update is like fantastic and you'll love it. So he's a happy camper. Great. All right, next one's from Willie Shatman from New Hampshire. He says many years ago. When I was just getting into the hobby, I was flying Aerobirds by Ho- Oh, do you do you ever remember the Aerobirds by Hobby Zone, Andre? No. They were basically like a my flying. It was basically like a stick with two foam wings and a tail on it. Some of them were V-tail, I think. I mean, they were pretty basic. Some of them were just three-channel. Uh, you know, it was just a beginner plane to get get into the hobby basically. He that, says uh oh, had a yes. now I'm looking at one, yeah. You looking at one now? Yeah. Yeah, they're pretty funny. Said, I had a great time, but I had to share my plane with my little brother. And it didn't last long when all we had to do was buy another one. <laughs> we we went out to our new go-to field with a brand new Aero Bird in the box. Charged up the batteries, and we took off for the maiden flight. The wind that day, okay, now you can picture these are beginners. These are beginner planes, and they probably didn't yeah. like to fly in 10-mile-an-hour winds. He said the day was gusting to 20 to 25 miles an hour. And he says, who cares? It's in the air. I told my brother, you're really close to those pine trees over there. And then a gust of wind blew it into the tall pine tree. Great. A brand-new airplane in a tree. The tree towered over the field and bordered a calm river. My little brother has no plane to fly, and I hate sharing, so up the tree I go. After climbing up the natural ladder of branches, I see the Pine Needle Airport with a crashed plane, but it's at least 15 feet from the trunk of the tree. Holding the branch above me, perfectly parallel with the one below I'm standing on, I walk carefully out and shuffle one at a time. Gusty winds progress, and that's when I make the fateful mistake of looking down 50 feet below i can see my little aunt of a brother swaying in the wind i shout down i don't want to die i worked up some courage and jumped up and down with the plane still out of reach then the fuselage hatch popped open ejecting the battery into the river behind the tree i keep shaking until the plane followed after (laughs) after flying again completing its first mandatory landing straight into the ground I climbed down safely and looked up, realizing that was a really stupid idea. I'm a new listener, and I'm hooked. 13 years later, I'm still flying. Nitro planes and now some homemade wooden drones, but no more electric planes. But you inspired me to get an electric plane. The Radian, baby. The Radian. Love the show. Keep it coming. Excellent. From Willie. That was a good story. Uh, Let's see. I got a couple more, I think, in here. Oh, we got one from our buddy Derek Fernandez because we haven't heard from him for a while. And there, I know mm-hmm. a couple times he's had some pretty crazy stories. He said, I know it's been a while since I sent you a crash story, and I promise you this one won't disappoint. After I had a little oops moment with my old Carbon ZT28, I decided to get a new one. Already I have about two hours of flight time on it, and I love it. It isn't that big of a plane, but it's still one of the most fun ones to fly. The other day, I took it out for a flight at my local park. I take off, start flying 3D as I normally do with the warbirds. <laughs> There's your first mistake. You're flying 3D with a warbird. In high rates, a carbon fiber prop. On, in high rates, the carbon fiber prop on the thing is just amazing. So much power. 
After doing a lot of stunts, I decided to start flying faster, so I throw it in the low rates and do speed around the field. Throttle pin full, I start to go into a loop. It was really slow in the loop and was coming at the ground really fast. I left it in low rates. The plane is almost out of the loop and slams into the ground at full throttle. With a 6-cell 7,150C battery, this thing was cruising. The plane hits so hard it bounces back into the air. It bounced so high I was able to... (laughs) This almost seems hard to believe. But he said the thing bounced so high back into the air... I was able to put the gear down and put it down on the ground. <laughs> the, the the rudder and one flap was torn out. The prop was fine. No damage other than that. And he actually sent some pictures of the plane. So I'm guessing the, the thing must have come down with the gear up, slammed down on its belly. And, you know, like a plane uh, when it's crashing, it just bounced straight back up into the air. That's pretty funny. So that's our crash. Oh, must have deformed pretty oh, bad. Oh, it had to have. It had to have. Uh, that's about it for email. That's a pretty good story. So just remember, guys, if you got some good crash stories, keep sending them in. We'll yep. get a, a pile of them, and we'll uh, we'll read them on the show. But uh, I think mm. that's going to be about it for us on a late Sunday evening. Um, starting to wind down. But real quick, uh, we got to thank our sponsors. Uh, we just had Andy on from Get FPV. Um, they've been helping us out the last few months and things seem to be going good. You guys are fantastic. All you, uh, listeners out there have been really good with the code. Uh, they seem to be pretty happy. So keep, we keep things going. Maybe we can get them to, uh, stick around a little longer. So go check out, get FPV.com, uh, buy some stuff from them, help us out, help them out. And I always want to just throw out real quick. Um, they have fantastic uh, what do I want to say? Fantastic uh, customer service. You, you can reach them uh, phone, email, Facebook, or even video conference or FaceTime if you need to help them out. The other thing I really like about getfpd.com is their shipping. Like when you order something that day, if it's like before noon or right around noon, it'll ship out that day. And generally anywhere in the United States within a couple of days, that package is going to show up on your doorstep, which is fantastic because there's nothing worse than ordering something all the way from Washington or California or Florida. And it takes a week to get here and it's driving you crazy. So if you order something from Git in a couple of days, it's on your doorstep. Uh, the other thing I want to mention too, uh, their Lumineer batteries are phenomenal. They are great batteries for the price. They're very reasonably priced and um, competitive for any other battery out on the market. And uh, they work great. I have quite a few of them that I use for my quads. So go check out their Lumineer batteries. They are fantastic. And that's about it. GetFPV.com. And once again, if you go spend $120, type in After Hours 2018 and receive 10% off your entire order down there. Them guys are great. Go check them out. GetFPV.com. And I think that's it for us. Whew, man, I'm wearing out. Hey, not Sunday bad. Night. Not, not bad. bad. Hey, man, we, we made it after everything. Yes, we did. We made it. I don't know how, but we made it. So, guys, thanks for joining us today. Uh, thanks, Andre, for hanging out this late in the evening. Thanks, everybody, yep. on Facebook for coming on. Uh, Oh, one thing I wanted to mention, Andre wanted me to tell everybody, I know we have a really hard group, core group of listeners that listen every week. Whether you're a hardcore listener or maybe a new listener, Andre says, go to iTunes and give us a review. I don't know what that does. He could probably explain it better, but 
It really helps us out. So any listeners, please, please go to iTunes and give us a good review. For some reason, that really helps us out. Uh, So do that. Just do it because I said so. Um, And And, uh, let me stick you back up here on the screen. I I left you here for a little bit. Um, But I think that's it. Uh, we're out of here. Yes. Thanks, Andre. Sure. I appreciate it. Sure. Hope you can get out flying soon. Hopefully, we'll have Mike back in here on the next podcast uh, and get him out from them stupid turkeys. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do with that boy? Um, and that's it. <laughs> so we're out of here. Thanks everybody for joining us again on Facebook. Thanks for the questions for Andy. We appreciate it, and thank you, Andy, for coming on. Um, And I think that's it. We will probably see you in a couple weeks, unless something drastic happens. So, all right, that's it. We'll see you later. Bye. Night.